Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to Think Humanities Podcast. Jack Brammer began his work at the Lexington Herald-Leader in 1978. In 2021, 43 years later, he left his post as Frankfurt Bureau Chief and with the reputation of being one of the most respected and fair journalists to ever work in the state capitol. But Jack Brammer is not going to pull that green eye shade down over his eyes and take a nap. Let's find out what's going on as we talk to Jack Brammer on today's uh, podcast. Jack, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be with you. So maybe the first thing we ought to do is explain what a green eye shade is. <laughs> a green eye shade. Well, I think that's a little bit before both of our times, but uh, some editors uh, maybe back in the early part of the 20th century would, would wear those and help them uh, when they edit stories and uh, that's about all I know about it. I, I did that for all of our younger listeners uh, out there in uh, in podcast land. Uh, Jack, um, you had such a terrific career, and uh, uh, we're here to talk about that. I want to know if you remember the first day you walked into the A newsroom, um, maybe the Herald Leader newsroom, and what uh, you remember about that day. Well, the first time I was at the Herald Leaders when I applied for a job uh, there, and that's when the building was located on Short Street behind the old courthouse. And I had an interview uh, with Don Edwards, who then was the city editor. Steve Wilson was the editor. It was the afternoon newspaper, just the Lexington Leader. And so I had spent two years as a uh, reporter in Shelby County, where I still live, for the Sentinel News, but I was looking for uh, starting a family and looking for better opportunities in journalism. So I remember going into that newsroom and I would see people, their uh, old names for the old timers, like Andy Ekdahl, he was a r- editorial writer. Uh, there was David Reed, who did the TV work. I could see uh, famous sports writers I, I knew or I'd read about that didn't know, and I was just amazed with that newsroom. And I remember Don Edwards, we talked for a while, and he asked me questions. And then Steve Wilson came in and wanted to know, Don, how the interview went. And Don said, well, he seems like a nice guy, but he's really, really green. And I'm a shy person, and they'll usually toot my own horn, but I remember I looked at, at Don and I said, well, Mr. Edwards, weren't you green once too? <laughs> and he said, Good oh, response. he said, oh, and he profanity, H-E-L-L, he said, hire him. <laughs> and so Steve Wilson hired me and I started my career there with the leader and then eventually the two papers merged and uh, worked for the Lexington Herald Leader from May 1978 until December 30th of uh, last year. You were, um, were you born and raised in uh, in Maysville, in Mason County? I'm, I'm a native of Maysville, uh, January 5th, 1951, so I'm 71 years of age. Uh, it was a deep snow that time. I 
parents lived with my mom's uh, parents who were tenant farmers. Uh, and I, the story, there was about uh, several feet of snow on the ground and my uncle had lost a leg in World War II. Uh, he carried me into the house that winter through the snow. My tell people my mother's side of the family were FDR Democrats. My dad's side of the family, the Brammers, were Eisenhower Republicans. Mm. So that made me uh, an easy slide to become a political reporter. And so I I knew both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party growing up. Did you grow up reading the paper? I, I did. I lived in Maysville down on West 2nd Street near the a train depot. I would ride my bicycle as just practically every day when the library was open, and I'd want to read the newspapers, and I was amazed at seeing newspapers like the Courier-Journal, the Herald-Leader, the New York Times, all the great newspapers, and the library became my, my favorite haunt. I wasn't much of an athlete. Uh, I wasn't an athlete, <laughs> and so, but I did spend a lot of time with the library, and I've always loved to read. And I think that helped me a great, great deal in journalism. I personally, I think that uh, good writers need to be good readers, and your writing improves when you read more and more and more. Now back to the uh, first day on the job at the Herald Leader, and and those first uh, few weeks or months, uh, if you will, uh, did. Did you feel, were you confident? Did you feel comfortable around the other reporters? Uh, obviously, you were the, the new kid on the block, uh, veterans who'd been covering breaking news and stories uh, uh, out of City Hall. What, what, what do you remember confident, about those no, days? Bill, I was green. <laughs> Don Edwards was right. But I had a lot of good people to work with. Uh, there was a Darlene Bowden. She was in charge of covering the police beat, and she would... Uh, we would get there at 7 o'clock in the morning because then the leader reporters worked from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then whatever you were working on, you had to leave at 3 o'clock because the 3 p.m. Herald people come in for the morning paper. And so I worked with some fine people there at the leader who were very helpful. I was a general assignment at that time, but I realized that both the papers, the Herald and the Leader, had only one person working in Frankfurt, a gentleman by the name of Ray Cohn. And Ray would write mostly for the morning paper, and I don't blame him because that's where most of the readers were. And there were government stories that Lexington was not concentrating on. And so by living in Shelbyville and not crazy about driving an hour and 10 minutes every day to work, to be there at 7 o'clock, I found more stories in Frankfurt. And so uh, I became competitive with Ray. And eventually uh, they let Ray and me work together. And uh, when the papers merged and John Carroll was the editor then, he said that he wanted me in Frankfurt full time. So I, I stayed in Frankfurt. I was in Frankfurt most of the time after about six months that I had worked for the leader. And uh, that's where I, I've been most of my career and uh, been very blessed. For a young reporter um, uh, start, just starting out, that was already quite a promotion or quite a, a step up uh, to go from um, right to, to Frankfurt in the state capitol where... 
at that time and today, uh, there's a lot of news, especially during the General Assembly. Oh, I've always believed that every major story in Kentucky eventually comes to Frankfurt in some way. When the Wildcats win the NCAA championship, the team comes over and is greeted by the legislature. When there is a, a, a tragedy or a weather event, Frankfurt always has something to do with it. So I've always told, and I still tell young reporters who come to the Herald Leader, that they ought to keep an eye on what's going on in Frankfurt. And then when they come over to Frankfurt to work, whether they're beat as health or education, know the politics because so much politics is just about in every story. But uh, I still believe that every good major story eventually makes its way to Frankfurt in one form or another. Well, I think all uh, young reporters need to spend some time in Frankfurt for uh, the very reason that it's such a great town. It's uh, so historic, so many things to see and visit and read and and learn about. And frankly, uh, I'm still going through that process. I I, I think I discover something um, new every time I, I, I delve into a particular area over there. And of course, uh, with the uh, the old state capitol, with the Kentucky History Center there, uh, uh, the two museums. Uh, right. And maybe more than just the two, well, three, counting the military museum. I mean, there there's just a lot to see and do there. And Rebecca Ruth, let's <laughs> yeah. don't forget her. Absolutely, yeah. Frankfurt's a, a wonderful town, and uh, I'm glad the uh, legislators in the past decided to put the state capitol there. It's kind of equidistance, even though it's a long way from Fulton to to get to Frankfurt. It's better there than being in a, in the, the big city, either Lexington or Louisville or Danville. Uh, right, right. <laughs> We're originally, yeah. Uh, Jack, uh, so many stories, uh, so many highlights of your life, and in a piece that you wrote for the Herald Leader as you were leaving uh, the newspaper, uh, you sort of headlined uh, several of those. So I'm going to let you just choose. Uh, uh, several, uh, one or two, whatever you want to uh, talk about. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that you're most proud of and probably have a story for each uh, of the governors that you uh, covered uh, during your uh, time. Uh, so uh, let, let's talk about the governors you covered. Well, I covered uh, not the entire administrations, but at least part of the administration of uh, 10 governors from Julian Carroll uh, he became governor in 1974 through 79, so that my first uh, couple years with the Lexington Herald Leader, and I was always amazed. Of all the ten I've covered, he was the most knowledgeable about the state budget. I think he knew where every dollar was going and why. That was a time legislators didn't have that much say in how the budget, uh, what was in it, and how was it enacted. And so Gene and Carol, that was a time when the coal boom in Kentucky, so Kentucky had a surplus of dollars. And so it's very popular to be a governor when you have money to spend. And uh, Julian Carroll handled that budget really well. He, the next governor was John Y. Brown Jr. And people asked me, what was it like to cover John Y. and with his celebrity wife, Phyllis? And I said, it was like covering Camelot. <laughs> it, uh, besides the news there, uh, they had celebrities in. It wasn't unusual to see Muhammad Ali or Andy Williams. I think he even brought the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders to his inauguration in December. 
and they wore their work clothes, <laughs> even in the cold weather of Kentucky. And so it was like covering Camelot. Uh, after that, the first woman governor, Martha Lane Collins from uh, Shelby County, her first two years were tough. And, uh, but I think the last two years were probably the best two years that any governor had covered. She got some education initiatives passed, and then she'll always be known for bringing Toyota to Kentucky and just of all the uh, satellite companies that that spawned and uh, her great work. What uh, were her difficulties in the first couple of years? Uh, part of it was what the, the budget that she did not have to do what she wanted to do. Right. The, the budget was a problem. That's always a problem in the budget. And I think also uh, you have growing pains whenever new, any new job and she had been clerk of the Kentucky Court of Appeals, which at that time was the highest court in the state, which now is the Kentucky Supreme Court. And so she had some of her followers and supporters pushing her, but it's a tough job. It is a tough job. It is a 24-hour a day job when you do it right. And so I think she had some problems there. She didn't know the legislature well, and then uh, I think she grew into the job. Yeah. And let's uh, uh, admit that uh, as the first woman governor uh, mm-hmm. and working with, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, uh, I don't expect you to know this off the top of your head, although you might, uh, how many other women were even in the General Assembly at that time? She, she, yeah. she had a tough job just uh, because of her gender. Uh, exactly, and not many. And she brought that up once at a news conference where I think there were about 15 or 20 reporters in the room and as I recall only one female reporter and so it was a good old guys uh, network even in the media Mm -hmm. at that time and she had to overcome that and and she did and I think uh, now she's one of our best governors by the great two years she had. Uh, She was followed by Wallace Wilkinson his inauguration was Jacksonian in style that uh, he invited everyone to come, and it was a lot of hoopla and celebration that day. Uh, uh, he would probably be mainly known for the Kentucky Education Reform Act that happened during his administration in 1990. Uh, my side story about Wallace Wilkinson is his wife, Martha. Wallace Wilkinson wanted to be able to succeed himself. At that time, you could only serve a four-year term, and it was over. And you had to wait four more years before you could run again. He wanted what's called succession. You're able to serve two consecutive terms. He didn't get that from the legislature. He had some uh, hard feelings with some of them. And so his wife decided that she would run at the end of Wallace's administration, Martha. I remember doing a story about her. I was assigned to do uh, a profile of Martha Wilkinson. And I found out, you know, she'd grown up in Casey County, and I remember interviewing her in the basement of the uh, governor's mansion. And I said, well, you're uh, uh, running as a Democrat. Have you always been a Democrat? Because from Casey County, she might have been a Republican. And she said, I've always been a Democrat and proud of it. I remember after that checking out the story, I'd go to Casey County, ask the clerk for her Martha Stafford's, her maiden name's voter registration records, the clerk's office was a mess, and she couldn't find anything. 
And she said, you might find it in Fayette County. They live there now. I went to Fayette County, the clerk's office. I told her what I wanted. The clerk comes out and says, oh, yeah, Martha Wilkinson, uh, she's a, a registered Democrat, and she's running as a Democrat. I said, oh. I said, well, how long has she been a Democrat? And the clerk said, about two weeks. <laughs> and I said, well, what was she registered before then? I said, well, the record always showed she, she'd been a Republican, but she had changed her party registration. Goodness. And I remember that she was going to be speaking in Louisville at the um, at the golf house, and I got in my little Chevette <laughs> and drove to Louisville as fast as I could. And she saw me there at the end, and she said, well, Jack, what, what are you doing here? My speech is over. And I said, but I wanted to ask you a question about your party registration. And I said, you had told me that you were a Democrat. She said, yes, yes, proud of it all my life. And in my best Colombo-type imitation, I said, well, Mrs. Wilkinson, these records that I got from the clerk's office show that you've only been a Democrat for a couple of weeks. And the line she gave me after that, she looked at me and she said, well, I've always felt like a Democrat. <laughs> I ran the story. A few weeks later, she dropped out of the race. Wow. Uh, but she was she was a gracious lady, a nice yeah. lady. But there, the lesson in there is... Tell the truth. Tell the truth. And uh, but, but one just added note, I remember um, that she also had a, a, a robust reading program uh, that she took uh, Martha's Army, Martha's Army. That, that she took statewide, which was which was good. But of course, it was a great uh, literacy program. I've still got a picture of her in uniform. They yeah. put her put in uniform. And I think she got the country music singer Waylon Jennings yeah. even involved in that. And she did really good yeah. work. And I think it was just unfortunate that she was ever even being considered yeah. for that governor's race. Yeah. Um, and and who else? After that, Brandon Jones. He was a Republican uh, from uh, West Virginia, changed to a Democrat. And um, Governor Jones was a good man, and he tried to bring health care to the state. And he wasn't uh, a better health care for, for all, expanded Medicaid. He didn't accomplished that, but he worked very hard. His problems, and we all have problems, is that he wanted always to be liked. And in, in politics, some people say they like you, they love you, but they may just stab you in the back. And he was very sensitive about that, and I think it, it hurt his administration, his, his ability to govern, that it was hard to say no to some people. And uh, being frank and straightforward, and he wrestled with that a lot. But he is a very good man and uh, uh, worked well with the budget. After him was Paul Patton, who was able to take advantage of succession, and he was the first one to do that once the uh, Kentuckians voted for the constitutional amendment succession. Governor of 1995 to 2003, people wanted, when I talked to them at groups, they say, who's your favorite governor? of the 10 you covered. And I said, well, that's like asking if you have 10 children, yeah. you know, which child do you like best? But I can say that the uh, the one who probably accomplished the most during this time was Paul Patton uh, on workers' compensation. He brought to reform that system, and that was corruption, and, uh, uh, black lung worked on that, controversy of community colleges and the University of Kentucky, and 
I was opposed to what he was doing privately. But I think what he did was better for education in the state. And uh, if he had not gotten involved in a uh, scandal uh, with a uh, nursing home operator, I think he would have had the chance of uh, winning the race for U.S. Senate. And uh, he would have gone on to the U.S. Senate. I think that scandal hurt him politically. But his times as governor, I give him high marks for what he accomplished. His slogan I still uh, use at times because I still think it sticks. Uh, education, education, education. I mean, those were his answers. I was to... so glad after he did leave uh, the office. I remember interviewing him uh, for that. And he said, well, I know uh, the, the first sentence of my obit that you're right is going to have something about the scandal. And I said, oh, Governor, I, I, I don't know, you know. And he said, yeah, I will. But he said, I, I've, you know, he said he had asked for forgiveness from his family, his wife. And he later became a uh, president of Pikeville College and uh, the Council on Post-Secondary Education. And I'm a strong believer in redemption. Mm -hmm. I have sinned. I have had my faults. And all of us have. And he has made mm -hmm. uh, very... He's had Good an, of his life. an incredible uh, career uh, post-governor. And um, I respect him yeah. to the utmost. Yeah. So yeah. He was followed by Ernie Fletcher, the first Republican governor since uh, Louis Dunn. Uh, Fletcher had the best uh, credentials of anyone to be a governor. He was a, a medical doctor. He was a jet pilot, a fighter, and, and just great. He was served in the U.S. Congress. But he let some of his uh, minions uh, misuse the state merit system that protects uh, merit workers, and it got him in trouble, and it led to some indictment and just a scandal in his administration. He was followed by Steve Bashir, uh, and Bashir had to wrestle with more budget problems than any governor I've seen. And he was able to balance the budget and keep uh, certain programs, education, the state prison system, and keep them afloat. And uh, that was the time during the recession, and I think give him high credit. He did adopt Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, to Kentucky with the Connect program, expanded the marketplace for uh, poor people to get insurance. And those were his accomplishments, followed by another Republican, Matt Bevan, uh, Matt Bevan probably disliked the media more than any of the 10 I've covered. And uh, to be honest, he was hard to get to know. And I, I feel like I still don't know him after covering the four years. I try to find good in everybody, and I think he, he worked well in the adoption program, family care. He had uh, him, his wife, Glenna, had adopted several children, and I think he was uh, should be given high, high marks for that. He did some for economic development. We thought that were, they were good at the time, but some of them have not proven out, like the Brady Industries in northeastern Kentucky. And then his administration ended, ended in uh, some of the problems he had of people he pardoned, and a lot of questions have been raised. Uh, been raised about those pardons. 
Jack, I have always wanted to ask this question uh, about uh, Governor Bevin. Do you think he came into office uh, disliking the media, or do you think early on uh, the media doing their job uh, uh, was particularly um, hard on him, uh, and maybe properly so, but early on in his administration, that turned him against the media? Or, or, or do you think he was always sort of well, anti? Well, he came as a, as a registered Republican, but I think he was more a Tea Partier mm-hmm. and at that time. And a lot of the Tea Party people thought that the media uh, were in cahoots with the government or, or the Democratic Party. And I think he came in with a prejudice against the media. Yeah. And then the first day... Uh, Early in his administration, the Lexington Herald leader's Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist Joel Pett did a picture of his children and the governor, and he thought that that was out of bounds, Mm -hmm. and he was very, very upset Mm -hmm. with that, and his wife was very upset, and that did not help me when I would call on the governor as introducing myself as Jack Brammer with the Lexington Herald leader. So it started out on uh, rocky, and it got rockier. Yeah. And he um, unfortunately lumped all journalists and all media into one uh, cauldron. Um, At the time, I was at KET, and he also lumped me in there, which was fine with me. But uh, he could be be, uh, harsh at times. What he did that was different from the other governors, I've had all these governors called me into the office one time, wanted to know why did I write this? What about this? You know, was I being fair? All of them, from Judy and Carol. Governor Bevan was the only one who would call your name out personally in public, and he did that to uh, reporters yeah. that have the highest respect for, like Debbie Yetter of mm-hmm. the Career Journal, and would just come out and mention the reporter by name mm-hmm. instead of. Uh, you know, that's fair. He has the right to do that, I, freedom of speech, but it made it harder working relationship. Uh, then he was, uh, after him, was our present governor, Andy Bashir, came on board December 2019. Within three weeks, uh, three months, he was having to confront something, a new virus called COVID. And I can't imagine any governor who is faced more severe problems than Andy Bashir. COVID, the death leave, over 13,000 Kentuckians have lost their lives now to it. And just, can you imagine coming in, you know, fresh-faced, uh, and then all of a sudden, a disease like this is spreading. And besides those problems, he's had the, uh, the tornadoes that we had last December in Western Kentucky. That, the deadliest tornadoes in Kentucky 100 years. We've had uh, bad weather. Uh, he has been up against a legislature that doesn't like him, and he doesn't care much for them, and neither side trusts each other. He's facing re-election, and I personally believe, this is my personal opinion, that I can't think of any other Democrat who could win other than uh, Andy Bashir, because the way the state now is more Republican, I think our voter registration next year, 
And uh, I just think it, he's going to have an uphill battle. But uh, I do give him high marks for how he's handled some of these uh, uh, tragedies, calamities, storms that he, he has done so far with, without scandal. Your personal opinion on whether or not uh, the Republican majority in the House and Senate would rather have Andy Bashir in that seat because of the progress that they've made uh, while they've held the majority rather than have a, a Republican governor? They have uh, expanded their power with, without a doubt, and they're still doing that. A constitutional amendment, Kentuckians will get to vote on in November, whether you want legislators to uh, be able to call themselves in the special session whenever they want that, and the people will see how that fare. It, it may have a good chance of passage because it's going to be coupled with a constitutional amendment that uh, says no abortions ever in our Kentucky Constitution, and that might get a lot of voters out who will vote for, for all the amendments. But uh, I'm not telling anybody how to vote, but please give a lot of thought to whether you want uh, that or not. Difficult, though, in your time and in the time of our Kentucky Constitution to change the Constitution, though. Uh, amendments usually fail. Amendments usually, usually fail. I remember the uh, amendment back in the late 1990s that would allow annual sessions. And uh, I thought, no, I, I don't want that. Uh, the great historian Thomas D. Clark told me why that was needed. I voted for it. And many times since then, I've regretted that vote. <laughs> we also have to remember, I'm sure you've had discussions with Thomas Clark about uh, 120 counties are, are, are way too many to, to have to deal with. Right. But I remember once there was even a resolution to study that 20 years from now. <laughs> and that resolution failed. Um, we're talking to Jack Brammer, who uh, has retired after 43, 44 years at the Lexington Herald-Leader, uh, started there in 1978. We've heard some of his remembrances, and after we hear from our great underwriter, Spalding University, we'll be back with a few closing comments from Jack Brammer. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing, Serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, where writing for TV, screen, and stage stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Jack, um, uh, welcome to the uh, Think Humanities podcast as we uh, hear about your life in uh, Frankfurt and your life uh, in journalism. Um, just a, a few closing uh, thoughts, questions, uh, comments from you. What is the state of journalism today? It's changing. It always has been changing. I have some of my older colleagues along with me that don't like the, the changes. Uh, but uh, I see like the social media has had a, a really big impact on, on journalism today. And I think the public 
sometimes think, well, the media involve everything from the New York Times and the Lexington Herald Leader to uh, Entertainment Tonight, their form of the media. And I, I differ by saying that you need training as, as a journalist. Uh, and there, we go to school, you go to college, you, you learn how to put together a sentence and put together in order. And I, I think that will always be needed uh, some of the problems I have with journalism now, COVID caused it, that the reporters aren't always there in person. I, don't, I think there's nothing like being there in person to cover a news conference or a meeting. And oh, I, I took advantage. I didn't want to get out, and I covered a lot of news conferences uh, on the, online, and I, I don't think that's healthy for journalism. But uh, I tell my, some of the journalism classes I've taught the last few years, I tell them that society will always need information gatherers. We all don't have the time to go to every school board meeting or city council meeting or fiscal court meeting, but we want to know what's going on, and so we will need trained, impartial information gatherers. And now how that information is presented, whether it'll be on a newsprint page or whether it's done by radio or podcast or social media, that's changing and always will be changing. But the basics, the who, what, where, when, and why, and being there and trying to remove yourself to be impartial and present the facts and let the people judge for themselves where they want to go with that information, society will always need good journalists. Do you think the young people that you've been uh, working with in Frankfurt in uh, both print and the electronic uh, media are coming out of high school, then college, or even a graduate program as well informed um, and well trained as you were um, 43 years ago? Better better trained, better informed, smarter, the ones I've seen. Uh, I know uh, my friend Al Cross has had a journalism class at the University of Kentucky and was able to start a newspaper for the community of Midway. And you read that and it gives you news what's going on. They're a thorn in the side of some officials in that area, but they're trying to get honest, truthful information to the people. And I'm just amazed at the, the talent level that's coming out there. Even though I always have to say it's good to have the institutional memory there, the, the old folks. And I like to see the newsrooms being so diverse that you, you see the ones with the mullets running around and you see the gray and even the ball-headed folks in there too. Uh, personally, or professionally now, Jack, what are you gonna do? I spent uh, the first two weeks of January of this year a life of leisure. I didn't like it. <laughs> I did get more reading done, I enjoyed that. But I, I'm freelancing, and uh, I'm not a rich man, but I'm a comfortable uh, man. I've saved my money and made my investments. And so I've been freelancing. I've been uh, been a contributing writer for the Northern Kentucky Tribune, and they primarily cover three counties: Boone, Kenton, and Campbell. 
and the 16 counties that stretches all the way uh, from Ashland over to Odom County, basically representing Thomas Massey's dis- congressional district. Uh, you think you think he's a subscriber? <laughs> I think he looks at it. Uh, so. But he wouldn't admit to that. <laughs> so I'm doing that, and that keeps me involved in Frankfurt. And then I'm also doing freelancing from various publications. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kentucky Monthly Magazine and Steve Vest and the product he puts out. And he's honored me by letting me write something uh, coming up in your April edition of that. So I'm... I, I want to do that, and I keep on wanting to talk. When in, civic groups invite me uh, to come and speak, I do that. My only charge is you got to feed me. <laughs> you don't have to pay me. And so I, I'm enjoying that, and I'm, cutting, I'm setting my own pace, and uh, I, I'm enjoying that so far. Uh, finally, you have a that you've shared with me today, an interesting uh, reading habit that, uh, if it is a habit or, or a fondness for uh, different genres, uh, which uh, certainly speaks to anyone interested in the humanities. So tell us about uh, how you read and what, what you're reading. I, I keep three books going at the same time, and one, fiction. I finished a fiction book last night uh, by author Colson Whitehead, uh, called Harlem Shuffle, and he is a vivid writer. I think his best book was uh, Nickel Boys, and it won a Pulitzer, and his first big break, which also won a Pulitzer, was The Underground Railroad. So uh, my new fiction book that I'm starting on now is The Lincoln Highway, More Tolls, and someone says that's a fine read. Mm -hmm. I always keep a fiction book going, a nonfiction book going. I'm reading... uh, Mr. Canellis' book on uh, John Marshall Harlan. Wonderful read. Uh, and yes, it caught The Great Dissenter. I picked that up at the uh, your at the book, book fair. Yeah, with Peter there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I always like, besides a fiction and nonfiction book going, have a book that's related to Kentucky, whether it's an author or an event. And I'm reading the v- Vita V I T A, My Life, Ed McClanahan. When Mr. McClanahan passed away a few months ago, I decided I've got to read his books. So I'm going through those books right now. So fiction, nonfiction, and a Kentucky book all going to three times. That sounds like a, a terrific recommendation for anyone, especially the latter. Uh, I, I, um, maybe we can form a, a new club uh, of, uh, of Kentucky readers. I, I think all of us, all citizens or whether or not you're just passing through, I should know a lot more about the Commonwealth. It is so rich with stories and history and uh, what is happening in modern day. I think we ought all, all from uh, one of our, our biggest difficulties is that we're a pretty big state. Right. Uh, it, it takes a while to get from Pikeville to Paducah, but my goodness, in between the diversity, uh, the the regionalism in a positive way is so important that we all uh, participate and, and, and know what uh, our neighbors across the, the Commonwealth are doing. I, I totally agree. And I also tell journalists, uh, young journalists, that if they want to be good writers, become good readers, always be reading everything and read a variety of material. And uh, I totally agree with everything you said. Jack Bremer, formerly of the Lexington Herald-Leader, but certainly not uh, 
uh, as we uh, end up the podcast uh, the way we started. Uh, still has his green eye shade on uh, <laughs> as an editor and writer and reporter and and journalist and uh, keeping in touch uh, across this great state of ours. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.